Uh, as David comes to read the scripture this morning, these are very um, familiar words. Every Pentecost Sunday, we come back to this story. This time, I went a little farther ahead because it defines basically our role with each other, uh, even before the Pentecost story. So you're going to hear this story in somewhat two sections. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Ah, uh, the altar of technology. Although at first service, of course, the question came up, Pastor Brad, that TV is ancient. It was harder for me to carry in a 70-inch flat screen. So suffice it to say, this is going to replace the 70 or 80 or 90 or 120-inch flat screen. But also on the altar of technology, we have the MacBook, the iPhone, this one could easily be replaced by a PC, a laptop of any kind, and that certainly could be replaced by, say, no, it can't be replaced by your flip, your flip phone. <laughs> Thank you for that, though. A Galaxy or something like that, an Android. Do you realize that if any one of these three items suddenly came on, and I didn't plan it well enough to have Dorothy call me from her flip phone to make, don't do it, um, that suddenly our attention would be drawn immediately to whatever that device was. And it would take a while to refocus back to the pastor. So we're not watching a video this morning. I'm not playing games, and I'm not having an email. But here's the other deal with this. These have become the definition of all too many of us. These have become the primary focus for many of us. And what's happened, and I will tell you now that as we go to the Catholic Church next Sunday, Dr. Tona McGuire is one of those that will be hosting us, one of the leading child psychologists in the world. And Tony and I have talked over the years of, of what this has done. The fact that now many of us simply text. Many of us will just email. And it's so much easier to just text or email. Uh, and if you want to go face-to-face, you can, you can you know, get 
You can look at the picture on Facebook, or you can go FaceTime or Skype. But even with FaceTime or Skype, particularly Skype, what invariably happens is you're right in the middle of the most significant part of that conversation, and it locks up. And a voice continues to go, but the face is just still. And here's what's happening. Psychologists will tell us, Tona being one of those, will tell us that what's happening is it's, it's causing this detriment in the lives of our children and our youth. Is that they are, they are now learning to do that and not, even though there are available emoticons that was supposed to bring laughter, you can't, you can't really communicate any emotion through any of that. You really can't. What is required to communicate and even learn emotion or learn communication is to go face to face, live. And for many of our children and youth and even our young adults, that's terrifying. And we're losing that science. So I want to put that aside for just a second. I want to go to the next thing. My heavens, we are a busy bunch. Aldersgate I'm talking about. We are so busy, whether it is in some of the political things going on around us, like a number of us meeting with the city council to make sure that a sidewalk was built on Newport Way. And by the way, I'm not done. Because now it looks like the sidewalk's going to be on the far side of Newport. So what we need is a, a bridge to safely cross this street. I can't wait to go to the city council with that one. I'm, yeah. Or, uh, maybe even more importantly, is the whole power line issue coming over through Newport Hills, coming down the hill, and crossing basically right over Tyee Middle School. And now what the power companies are talking about is more wires, yeah, higher, but more energy coming through there. And I'll tell you, I will fight that. We can't have that over one of our schools. And we certainly, I don't think, can have it in a neighborhood. I don't know what the options are, but these are difficult topics, and some of us are involved in those kinds of things. We have folks on the Transportation Commission working for the Port of Seattle. We have folks who have gone up to, um, to the two fuel places up in Anacortes and been out in kayaks to... to um, to try and stop that, as well as the coal stuff, as well as, I mean, so many things. So we're a busy bunch, but we're even busier than that. We have folks who are heading overseas, right, Linda? To Malawi, to deliver these kits. We have folks who've been to Nepal, to Vietnam, to Thailand, building boarding houses and education and helping young women to not have to miss 180 days of school, but to understand sanitation and personal sanitation. We have folks, fresh water for other folks. Busy bunch. And I'm not even done yet. I want you to think about the parents in this congregation with high school, middle school, elementary school. Those parents who are involved in their children's lives and some of those children's, children are in theater, are in music, and are in sports. And now you throw in two or three or four children, and you can only imagine how busy those parents are. 
And what you will never hear me do is somehow guilt those parents about anything. And then you throw in the single parents who are trying to do all of that with no help. So you look at these kind of three elements about what we do as a church. And what it can do is change our priorities. I didn't throw in general conference either because we have folks who are down there right now who are trying to help cooler heads prevail and some of the right things be legislated for the church. But here's what happens sometimes. Is we forget that underlying priority for us. That underlying priority as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that that priority needs to define everything else. Everything else. And if we aren't teaching our children about that priority, if we aren't sitting with them and talking with them face-to-face about that priority, how in the world are they going to learn anything about a belief, about a faith, or about what that faith is to do in the rest of your life. It's not just because I'm a pastor that I believe that that needs to be among the highest priorities for us as a church. To be able to sit, no matter what our age may be, like 88 over here, no matter what our age is, that we have a role with these children, that we have a role with our youth, that we help them understand and sit with them. Because I'll tell you something, you may be blown away by this. They want to sit with you. They want to hear from you. And we talk about it every Sunday night. And it is incredible how much they want to hear the stories that are this church. And not just this church, each one of you. Each one of you has a story to share. Each one of you. So here's what I'm asking of us. And now I'm kind of moving beyond asking. I wish I could tell you to do this. I can't. We are still struggling, friends, to find people to help with Sunday school, kids club, and youth group. And I get, particularly this service, is the more traditional. And some of you are a little bit older than maybe some that come to first service. But this has to be a priority, and we can't continue because here's the other issue. The growing edge of this church right now is young families. You can see that every Sunday morning, particularly at first service. And what what does it feel like to those guys when the same two or three or four people teach Sunday school the whole year round? So here's what I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear I've already done that. I don't want to hear I don't have time. I need this as your pastor to become a much higher priority for us as a church. In first service, I took it farther, and I'll do the same now, because last week what I did is present you a model. You a model. And I have handouts um, this week that go through it. And, and what I'd like to do is have some volunteers come up and grab these handouts, and anybody that wants one, Um, to take one. We handed out 70 
this morning at first service. Seventy of these. Oh, the Beeman family. <laughs> the Footbone family. That's just her. That's right. Anybody want one of these? Please raise your hand. And I want to walk through this with you one more time. Why? Because this is how we can do this. It's not just me trying to lay this on you. I get that we're busy. I get that we have priorities. I get that we're involved. But as this church continues to grow, and it is growing, as we continue to grow, this has to be a higher priority for all of us. So let me walk through this with you one more time. This model comes out of the research of Drs. J. David Hawkins and Richard Catalano, University of Washington School of Social Work, Social Development Research Group. This model was developed back all the way back in 1990 as a model that condensed everything around what reduces risk in our kids. And it does reduce risk in our kids if we implement this. And by the way, as I've shared with you before, guess what? I, I hate this term, but religiosity is something that can reduce the risk for our kids, that they'll get involved in antisocial behaviors in the future of their lives. And the more people involved in helping them, the less at risk they become. And so what we do, whether we're parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles or folks in the church, is we continue to give them opportunities for involvement. we got one coming up that is so perfect, and that's the, the mini-mission trip where they're going to work alongside uh, all kinds of folks to, to, to put some signs up so that signage at Lazy F is better. Cora, who's here, has become, because of Daryl Lowe, a master of pulling rocks out of holes. <laughs> a master of it. And, and yet, I say that jokingly, but a, a memory has been created there in a relationship between these two that will go on for a long time. Both have talked about that event and smiling and joking and how significant that was. Pulling rocks? Well, yeah, because it's going to help do other things, and particularly in that case for the safety of the children at Lazy F so they don't go down a bank into the creek. We give our kids opportunities for involvement. But let's look at it just from a faith perspective. Opportunities for involvement about how do you pray? How do you read scripture? And if you flip that over, on the back side, I have a whole list of things you can be doing. Whether you're a couple or a family or grandparents or, or, or a single person with friends or whatever. There's a whole list of how we do this. How do you pray? How do you say grace? It's so funny. At, at, at confirmation, they're getting better. But I ask somebody to open in prayer and somebody to close in prayer. And, you know, kind of like church or a potluck, guess what happens as soon as you ask somebody to pray? And they're not bowing. They're not bowing. They just don't want no eye contact. Don't choose me. And now, guess what? They jump at it. Now, it may have to do with the fact that whichever gender prays gets dinner first. But... But that's the reward. There is recognition, reinforcement, and reward in that. And how to read scripture. Or maybe most importantly, how to talk about or take, take action on the things that can change the lives of others. The social justice that is at the root of who we are, as United Methodists. 
It's not just about loving God. That comes primarily. That's first. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then comes the loving neighbor as we love ourselves. How will our children know how to do that? How will our children understand if they're not hearing the stories from their parents? If they're not taking time face-to-face to do that? Now let me expand it out one more step. How will they know what we stand for as a church if we're not telling them? If we're not sharing our stories with them? How will they know? How will they know and have permission to disagree if they don't see us disagreeing on things like politics or faith or beliefs about Jesus or God if they don't see us disagreeing and still loving each other? How will they know? How will they know where to stand when it comes to bullying? Because every single one of those 15 kids, every single one has been bullied. Every single one. And they don't know how to respond unless we help them understand how to respond. Opportunities for involvement. Teaching them the skills on deepening that involvement and understanding of prayer and of study and of faith and of action. And then recognizing, reinforcing, and reward. You think I'm joking about the gender thing about prayer. I'm not. Recognition, reinforcement, and reward. That takes it that much deeper for them. And now they can't wait to pray. And now they understand how to pray. And it's not just about dinner. Their prayers have gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's been a privilege to watch. But they need to hear yours as well. Because here's what happens then, particularly in our families or even as a church when it comes to our children and youth, is suddenly they become attached to the same kinds of things that we choose to attach ourselves to. They become interested in Malawa and what we're doing for kids their age in Africa. They become engaged with the things that are being taught to those kids at Grace Boarding House in Thailand. And they want to make sure that we stay committed to those kinds of things because they recognize that they're changing lives. And so they commit themselves to this organization or to that family or to each other or to you, to us as a church. And guess what is born out of that? What's born out of that is then they're able to better understand and develop their own belief system the foundation for who they are. And it goes even deeper when they know that out of that belief system they are making a significant difference in the life of another human being. Friends, I can't I can't reiterate enough how important this is for us as a church. To see these next generations, and now we're going plural, because really it begins with babies or up to two years old, to the preschool, to elementary, middle school, high school, and even young adults. That we see that every one of us, every one of us, needs to commit ourselves to Sunday school, to kids club, to youth group, to whatever it's going to take. Even though, I'll close with this thought, even though I understand that we don't have time, 
even though I understand that many of us have trouble defining our own faith, let alone trying to communicate it to somebody else. So why not be honest about that with our kids? Why not help them understand that we don't have all the answers? We don't. And so let's journey together to find those answers because here's the deal. God will provide for those who seek, ask, and knock. God will provide those answers if we but take it on. So I'm asking, on this day of Pentecost, that we as a church breathe new life into our Sunday school, into our youth groups, into kids club, and see our role the same as we have every single time a child or an adult has been baptized. And that is that we commit ourselves to surround that child and that family and that person with love and grace and teaching. Committing ourselves to that. Here's the model. Go home, practice with each other. It's good. And let's take this on, shall we? Let's pray together. God, on this Pentecost Sunday, we do ask that you breathe life into us. And and it may be as a single person who is going through some of these things with someone else. It may be as couples, no matter the age, no matter whether they've been married 65 or 70 or 80 years, praying with each other does something in our hearts and in our relationships. Whether they're grandparents or or, or great-grandparents or parents or aunts or uncles. Whether they're traveling to Africa or Thailand or Nepal or anywhere, we become that family that not only brings new understandings even of health, but even an understanding of God's grace and love for all of humanity. God, I just pray that we see this priority as a church, particularly for our children, those children of Aldersgate. But we can't stop there. We ask all of this in the name of Christ. Bring Christ back to the center, God, for each of us. All this in Christ's name. Amen.